Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Once again, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. My name's Ryan, and I'm the lead pastor here. And it's just such a joy to have you with us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. You know, as a, as a pastor, this is one of those mornings where your head just pops off the pillow. And uh, I am so, just from the bottom of my heart, I'm really honored to get to hold out the best news you've ever heard to you. Today. So if you're joining us online or over in the chapel, I want to say a special welcome to you as well. Well, March 10th, my head popped off the pillow also, but for a completely different reason. I got a text message from our CFO that said, 911, contact me as quick as possible. It's financial. Now, you never want to hear that. Okay, um, you just, you never want to hear that. And March 10th was the day that the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. $465 billion evaporated. It was the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. The first one led to the Great Depression. And so there were ripple effects that were reverberating all around the world because of this bank collapse and people's desire to pull money out of other banks. It's interesting because if you were to pull out a, a dollar bill from your wallet or purse, you could read it. And on our dollar bill, we write, in God we trust. And yet moments like those reveal that that's a really nice idea but sometimes it doesn't translate into our everyday real lives, does it? Because I think if we were to, to, to actually put what we trust, it might look a little bit different than in God we trust. All right, wait, we, might, we might put something like, in, in my health I trust, or in security I trust, or in Politicians, I, never mind, nobody trusts in politicians, okay? <laughs> Maybe in doctors we trust. In, let's, let's just be honest, in me, I trust. In me, I trust. In, in, my, in my own good works, in my own ability, in my own strength, I trust. I, I wonder if that's the reason that we've seen such a massive spike in mental health issues. Our author, Anne Helen Peterson, describes the millennial generation as the burnout generation. Maybe, just maybe, we weren't designed to carry the weight of, in me, I trust. See, see trust can be an abstract concept. I mean, we, we often don't know what we trust in until it lets us down. Trust can be an abstract concept. So let me sort of paint a picture for you this morning of what, of what trust is. If I tell you that I trust this chair, that means I'm convinced that if and when I sit down on it, it will hold me up. It will do what it has said it will do. So I'm gonna give my full weight, my full trust to this chair. That's trust. Reliance 
is trust in action. Actually putting your weight on that thing that you say you trust. Now, my guess is that you have put your weight in a few things that weren't trustworthy. Can I get an amen? Amen. That you put your weight on some things that that weren't able to hold you up. Uh, um, A few weeks ago, I had the chance to go to Mexico with my wife, Kelly, just the two of us, praise be to God. And we were at this resort and there's a spot in the resort that was this spa and we were hanging out at the spa and and immediately when you walk into the spa, there's music playing. It's the ultimate in tranquility and relaxation. And there was this couple that was there and they both went and they got drinks and they got food and they got their books and they went to this garden that was laid out perfectly, this like Zen garden that had seven hammocks set up in it. And they decided that they were going to share a hammock together. (laughs) Now, if you decide to share a hammock with somebody, make sure you really like that person because you're about to get to know them real well. Okay. They sit down in this hammock and I happened to be walking by and I looked over at them and I thought to myself, that's a bold move, both of you in that hammock. And sure enough, in moments after they sat down, the bottom of the hammock gave out like a wet paper bag and their stuff was strewn about like they were having a yard sale in this Zen garden. And I thought to myself, not everything we put our weight on is worthy of our trust. My guess is that you've put some Wait on things that weren't worthy of your trust either. That relationship that you thought would last forever because you said, I do, you put your weight on it and maybe it didn't hold up. Or or getting to the end of that finish line and you retired and, and you crossed the finish line and it just wasn't all that you thought it would be. Or maybe you graduated from college and you had all your credentials and you were ready to jump out into the quote unquote real world and get that first job and the market just dried up and it felt like the bottom just gave out on you. Or maybe you thought, I can do enough good. I can do enough good works and then I'll be acceptable. And you failed even yourself. In fill in the blank, we trust. And I think the question that we all have to wrestle with is, what can I rely on? Like, like what, what really is worthy of, of the full weight of my life? What won't give out on me? Like a bank on its worst day or a cheap hammock. What will hold me up when life gets real and when life gets hard? That's what Paul wants to write to the church in Corinth about. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? We're going to start in verse 8. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can either use the one that's in the chair back in front of you, or you can follow along on the screen. All the scriptures will be up on the screen today to make it easy as possible. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. I love that Paul doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't make it seem better than it was. He's like, life was really, really hard. The scripture wants to ground us in reality, not in some fantasy world. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength 
that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us, what? Say it with me, church. Rely. That was to make us rely on, not on ourselves, but on God who does what? Who raises the dead. Now to say that resurrection was a cornerstone theological conviction of the early church would be a massive understatement. I mean, his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul spends an entire chapter unpacking the glory and beauty and hope of resurrection. Listen to a few things that he says. He says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, then you believe in vain. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There's no forgiveness if Jesus does not walk out of the grave that first Easter morning. He goes on and he writes for this perishable body. How many of you know your body is perishing? Got a few aches and pains, yep. This perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul's saying that because Jesus was resurrected, one day you will be resurrected like him also. What a beautiful truth. And then here in 2 Corinthians, he takes all of that theology and he applies it to his everyday, real, painful, difficult life. And listen again to what he said. This was to make us not to rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's in a desperate situation and he comes to the point of full reliance, not on himself, not on his good deeds, not on his ability to get out of this predicament that he's in. His full reliance is on God and not in general terms. He says, I'm, I'm trusting in and putting the full weight of my life on God who raises the dead. That that first Easter morning, when Jesus's dead body began to breathe, Paul says, it's that moment. It's that moment to prove to everybody in this room and everybody who's ever walked the face of the earth, that they're willing to listen. It's that moment that proves that God is completely, utterly, and fully reliable. Resurrection is proof that God is perfectly reliable. And I don't know about you, but I love that the apostle Paul doesn't point us just to something that we can believe in our head or something that we can rationalize. And he doesn't say, I rely on God because I know all the answers to life's deepest questions. He points us back to an event. He says, I rely on God because Jesus walked out of the grave. That's why I've given him the full weight of my life. And here's, what, here's my invitation for you this morning, for us together. My invitation is that we would move past just believing in resurrection and that just like Paul, we would rely on it. We would put the full weight of our life on it. But 
That's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier said than done. And I think what we need to do is just start by acknowledging that every single one of us relies on something. You rely on something. The full weight of your life is on something. It's the way God designed you. It's the way that he wired you. In fact, when he creates Adam and he puts him in the garden, he he tells Adam and then Eve that he's created them to rely and depend on him. But in, in order to know if they really do rely on him, they need to have options. So here's what he says. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So God says to the first human beings, I've designed you to rely on me. I've designed you to trust me for your provision, for your direction, for your protection. I've designed you to rely on me. And what do Adam and Eve choose? They choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They go, hey God, thank you very much. That looks like a sturdy chair there, but we'll take it on our own. We're gonna rely on our own ingenuity, our own wisdom, our own strength. And so they cut the umbilical cord that ran between them and God and they start to experience death. I love the way that author and pastor Tyler Stanton put it when he said, sin is meeting the deep needs of my life by my own resources. Anybody else convicted? Yeah, I am. And Adam and Eve, they fall for our core temptation and our core temptation is towards self-reliance and autonomy. God, I... I don't need you. I've got this. Thank you very much. And the devastating effects of putting our reliance and trust in something less than God is death. When we cut the umbilical cord that runs from the author of life, we experience death. The wages of sin is death and not just eternal death, but a thousand little deaths along the way. The death of believing I have to validate my own existence. The death of believing that I've got to hold my life up when it feels like it's crumbling. The death of believing that my worth is in direct correlation to what I produce. Has anybody else relied on themselves? And I think it's worth asking, why in the world does Jesus walking out of the grave that first Easter morning prove that God is reliable? Why does the resurrection prove that God is trustworthy? I think, that's, I think that's the right question in light of what Paul has written. And here's why it proves that he is trustworthy. The resurrection declares that God is not giving up on his creation. The crucifixion proves that God loved you so much that he was willing to give his only son, that he would pay the penalty of your sin. Nobody else has done that for you. Nobody else could do that for you. The resurrection declares that the God who created us because he loves us is recreating us because of that same love. He has not, will not, and will never let us go. And so Paul says, you can put the full weight of your life on that because Jesus has walked out of the grave. Somebody say amen. Amen. I love the way that Paul wrote it to the church in Ephesus when he said, but God, and those are two great words in the scriptures, you guys. 
but God, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the, say it with me, great love with which he loved us, even when, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you have been saved. Why is he worthy of your full reliance? Because he has proven his complete love beyond a shadow of a doubt and declared his power to make all things new. I would suggest to you that the resurrection proves God is trustworthy and worthy of our full reliance because it affirms God's ongoing, never-ending love and affection for his creation. But sometimes that's easier for me to believe in my head than it is to actually believe in my heart. Anybody wanna say amen? Sometimes I, I, I can rationalize that and I live in my head quite often. I can rationalize that and say, I believe that. But when life starts to get challenging and when life starts to get hard, that belief, that conviction is put to the test and we have to decide, do I really believe this? Am I gonna put it into practice? And wouldn't it be nice if we had a few things that we could keep in mind that would allow us to walk, not just in the belief of resurrection power, but in the reality of it every day. Wouldn't that be nice? It would. Two of you think it would be, so fine, I'm gonna tell you. Because <laughs> Paul thinks it'd be nice and he gave us a few things for us to really sink our teeth into. Listen again to what he wrote in verse eight. He said, for we don't want you to be un unaware brothers of the what? Affliction we experienced in Asia. If we were so utterly, what? Burdened beyond our strength that we, what? Despaired of life, even itself. And we don't know exactly what the apostle Paul's referring to here. We've got options though. I mean, it could have been the riot that he was caught up in, in Ephesus. It could have been the 39 lashes that he received. It might've been the, the night out in the open sea. It could have been the physical ailment that he lived with for much of his life. We're not exactly sure, but what we do know is that life wasn't a walk in the park for Paul. And so he uses three different words in order to try to convey the feeling and the weightiness that he's walking with. So he uses this word affliction. Literally in the Greek, it means weight. And, and the word comes from a form of, of torture that they used to use in courts in order to get somebody to speak. They would put weight on their chest, more and more weight until they were willing to finally talk. And if they weren't willing to talk, then their bones were crushed into the organs and they would die. There was no pleading the fifth in the ancient world. And Paul says, that, that's, that's the type of situation that I was in. Can anybody relate? You feel like that weight is just pushing down on your chest? I can remember a number of years ago, it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. I didn't know what was going on, but it was stress. It was leading to a panic attack and I didn't know what to do about it. If you've been there and you felt that weight, you know how terrifying it can be. He says, I was burdened. And literally that means like mental anguish. He had these thoughts running through his head that were just doing war on his soul. 
Anybody been there? He says, I despaired of even life itself. He goes, the resources that I had were insufficient to get me to where I needed to be. And then there's this turn. You would expect a lament after that. Why, God? Why? And some of you are here today and your question for God is why? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much sorrow? God, why did you allow that to happen in my life? And Paul goes, let me take a stab at answering that. He says, indeed, we felt like we'd received a sentence of death, but that was to, say with me, church, make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's finding purpose in his pain. See, some of you have walked through those same trials and some of you have gotten to that same point where you feel these loving, gentle hands come up on your shoulders in the midst of challenge, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, and they start to push you down so that the full weight of your reliance is finally on Jesus. See, because here's what I know about about you and what I know about me. We resist reliance with everything we have. We'd much rather pull up our own bootstraps and get it done on our own, right? And so sometimes God uses those challenging situations in our life to get us our attention. I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it when he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think Paul would say, you wanna really rely on the God who raises the dead, be willing to receive the gift of pain. Allow it to make you rely on God. It's actually ironically, subversively a gift. During the um, Bosnian civil war, It was one of the worst modern civil wars on record. I mean, 100,000 people died, 2.2 million were displaced. In the midst of that, in Sarajevo, there was this famous cellist named Verdun Smailovic. And he got his cello and he dressed up in a tuxedo. And he went and he sat in the midst of rubble and he started to play his cello. This beautiful music pouring forth from absolute devastation. People started to gather around. They, they, they started to, to lean in, people who were wounded, people who were hungry, people who were displaced. And they started to just lean in because the music echoed of another world, one brimming with hope, one brimming with joy. And it just drew people in. And see, the Apostle Paul, he knows that music. Do you know that music? The music that in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, invites you to sit down and rely and trust that the struggle is an invitation to a deeper and more full reliance. See, here's the deal, you guys. One day, For every single person in this room, one day, our resources will be insufficient to meet our needs. One day, the bottom will fall out of whatever we've put our hope in and anything less than Jesus will be insufficient for us. 
So the things that push us back to him, even when they sting and even when they hurt, they're actually a gift. It's why the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. What a beautiful statement. Even in our our elder meeting this last Tuesday, there was one of our elders who's walking through uh, chronic illness. and, And he said, and I wrote it down. He said, I wouldn't change a thing. It's given me a new perspective on God and life. And I think he's saying the exact same thing that the apostle Paul's saying. It made me rely. The hard part about reliance though, is that I have to trust that God knows more than me. I mean, can I get an amen? Like that's the hard part of reliance. Cause I just want to be honest. Sometimes I think I know better. Sometimes I think if I were God in this situation, here's what I would do. It's quite obvious to me because this hurts. And yet Paul says, no, my full reliance is on the God who raises the dead. Listen to what he says next. He delivered us from such peril and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Raise your hand if you see a theme in this verse. Okay, good. It's in yellow just in case you missed it. But Paul wants to lay it on pretty thick for us. That word deliverance means rescue. And I want you to notice that it is in past, present, and future tense. He delivered us. He will deliver us. As if to say, he's delivering us even now. And in the future, he's going to deliver us again. Paul claims, I walked through these challenges. We don't know. A night at sea, 39 beatings, um, a riot that he was in. Who knows what he's referring specifically to. But what he's saying is God rescued me. God saved me. And God is worthy of our full reliance because that's who he is and that's what he does. And so we don't just receive the gift of pain. We fix our hope on deliverance. I love that Peter, when he writes to the churches, says that we have a, we have a living hope because of the resurrection. We have hope today, not just for, for one day, Over this last week, as a community of faith, we've been posting these prayers and praises to the cross that just lit up today and looks beautiful, doesn't it? And if you were to come and read some of these praises, I think you'd be really encouraged. I I pulled a few of them because I just wanted you to hear some of the ways that resurrection power is at work in our midst. A living hope right now. Listen to a few of these. It says, hallelujah, God, you've given new opportunities. You've given peace. You've given joy. I praise you for a new job, for helping and saving our family from a life of addiction. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your restoration when I fell away from you. Hosanna. Thank you for saving my son from addiction, for getting him on the path of sobriety and for helping him find his faith and coming back to you. 
thank you for saving this person from cancer and for healing and restoring. And then there's this one that that I just loved. I I think it was from a little kid. Um, If it wasn't from a little kid and it was from an adult and you're here, don't get offended, please. But it says, it says, Jesus saves. And it's a, a picture of a family of four. I thought, what a picture of, of living hope, alive in our midst today, God moving, God working, God who restores and God who raises the dead, reliable even today. And these temporal deliverances are incomplete. They're imperfect, but they're signposts pointing us to a God who says, I will one day make all things new. He will deliver us. And Paul says it with such bravado. I mean, he's like a a UFC fighter who's up at the podium before a fight taunting his opponent. He will deliver us. He's going to come through. Not will if all the circumstances work out right or not might if things go according to plan, but he will deliver us. It's going to happen. And history holds that about 10 years after Paul wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians, he was beheaded by the emperor of Rome at the time. His name was Nero. He will deliver us again. And it seems to me that this is what we often struggle with when we read Paul's definitive statement. Did he come through then? Did he deliver then? Did he deliver from that? I mean, there are some here, you know the pain of that type of a journey. They were sick and they passed away. That you prayed and they still died. You went to God and they still left. You prayed your guts out and their heart remained cold. So I ask you again, did he deliver even then? And I think the apostle Paul, if he were here today, would say, I didn't make a mistake. I didn't stutter. I didn't make a theological statement that was inaccurate or untrue. He did deliver because death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I think the apostle Paul would point us to the God who's completely, fully, and utterly reliable because he's conquered sin, death, and evil. And because he holds the ultimate victory, he deserves the fullness of our hope. Hope is birthed because death has died in Jesus Christ. And friends, the truth is that death is a reality, but it is not a finality. Death is not the end. Paul's death wasn't 
your family's death wasn't, and your death won't be either. As Friedrich Buechner so poignantly put, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. So if it's the worst thing, that simply means the story is not over. Somebody say, praise be to God. Paul would say, he will deliver us. One day he will call our name and we will rise to life eternal, completely holy, completely whole, forgiven by faith in Jesus and the grace that he's shown us through the cross and resurrection. That's the ultimate deliverance. He will, not might, he will deliver us. And Paul ends this section by saying, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted through the prayers of many. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrased this verse in the message. He says, you and your prayers are part of God's rescue operation. How good is that? I don't want you to be in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now. Lifted up in praise for God's deliverance of us, a rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. And I can't explain to you guys the intricacies of how our prayers impact directly. I just know that your prayers have an impact. That that's the way that God has chosen to work in his world. And some of you are sitting here today because of the prayers of people around you. Some of you are sitting here today because of a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or a son or a daughter or a friend that prayed for you and God empowered that prayer and worked in your life because somebody was lifting you up before God. And here's the connection, you guys. Here's the connection. Paul says, I've put my complete reliance on the God who raises the dead. And then he makes this statement that we pray and we see God work. And prayer is the connection between my reliance on God and the way that I step into his kingdom and his plan. We rely on God practically by resting on the power of prayer. You show me someone who has a vibrant prayer life and I will show you somebody who's reliant on God. Show me somebody who has an anemic prayer life and I'll show you someone who might say they trust, but who really hasn't put it in to action. See, the truth of the matter is I can either have resurrection power or I can have Ryan power, but I don't get both. And I long for resurrection power in my life. What about you? What about you? So if you were to fill in this blank, in blank, I trust. How would you answer that? In my own good deeds, I trust. In my own abilities, I trust. In my health, I trust. In my intellect, I trust or in God who raises the dead. I trust this cross is bursting with life as a testimony to say,
that God is perfectly reliable because Jesus walked out of the grave. What will you do with this gift of pain? What will you do with where you place your hope for deliverance? Is it on you or is it on him? And will you bow your knee in prayer to the God who says, I work through the prayers of my people? See, this call to reliance was something that Jesus consistently echoed back to. He had a a, a few friends in a little town called Bethany, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were some of his best friends and Lazarus had gotten sick and Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. Jesus, come and and if you get here before he dies, I know that you can heal and I trust that you are able. Jesus, we're relying on you for restoration. And Jesus delayed and he was late and Lazarus died. And it had been a few days and, and Mary ran out to meet Jesus as he was approaching their town. She was so frustrated because she had this faith, this conviction, Jesus, if you'd come earlier, then our brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. And listen to the conversation that Jesus has with Mary. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, Um, In the Greek, you could translate that trusts or relies. Whoever relies on me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes or relies or trusts in me shall never die. And then he asks her the most important question anyone has ever asked anyone. Do you believe this? But not just do you believe this, here. But Mary, do you rely on this? So let me ask you the same question. Do you believe this? He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever has their reliance, their trust, their weight on me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And Jesus is saying, I am wholly reliant because I'm completely alive. And if Jesus lives, we can live wholly reliant on him. And I just want us to end our time by asking God to to search our hearts to to reveal to us where our reliance and where our trust really is. Allow him to speak to you. Allow his still small voice to convict your heart. If it's cold, to, to, to soften it up, to speak life. He is a firm foundation. He declares all other ground is sinking sand, but Jesus will not give out on you like a bank on its worst day or like a cheap hammock. He is able to keep and hold what you entrust to him. So the question for us to wrestle with today is, do you believe this? Will you rely on this? The God who raises the dead. Let me invite you to put your things away. And I just wanna invite you to close your eyes. And would you just ask 
the spirit of God, what he's saying to you today? Because I think for some of you, he's calling you and wooing you maybe for the very first time to say, I've trusted in my own good works. I've trusted in my own wisdom. I've trusted in my own strength. But today I wanna put my trust in God who raises the dead. And for some, I think he's calling you back. Maybe you've wandered away and he's calling you home. And today's your day to say to him, Jesus, I just wanna reaffirm my trust in you. I wanna give you my whole heart, the weight of my life, not in me, but in you. And I wanna give you a chance to respond today. So if you're in either one of those positions where you're saying maybe for the first time, or maybe to say, I wanna rededicate myself to you, Jesus, I wanna pray for you. Would you just raise your hand right now? see you. Praise God. I see, you. I see you. Praise God. I see you back there. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. Yeah. I see you. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. Up top. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. Anybody else? Don't let this moment pass you by. If Jesus is drawing Say yes to him. All other ground is sinking sand. And if that's you, if you're in the space and you wanna say to Jesus that you trust him for the first time, you could just simply pray something like this. Jesus, I know that I can't deliver myself. I know that I'm not reliable for the deepest needs that I have, but I trust that you are. I trust that because of the cross and resurrection that I'm forgiven in you. And so by faith, I receive your grace today. Would you come and by the power of your spirit, live inside of me, wash me clean and and teach me how to live in your way. I wanna be one of your disciples. Lord, help me experience the joy that you have for me. And if you're coming home to him today for the first time in a long time, you might just say something like, Jesus, today I'm reaffirming the fact that I rely on you. The whole weight of my life, because I believe that you're the God who raises the dead. Jesus, thank you that because you live, we can live wholly reliant on you. All other ground is sinking sand. But we thank you that you are the solid rock on which we stand. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.